In a world where God is dying, four heathens come to deliver the final nails in the coffin. From the depths of hell, Satan sends four puppets of the imperialist West and the Zionist Jews against God, Islam, and tiny kittens to bring you their propaganda and conspire for a new world order. This is Secular Jihadists from the Middle East. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I'm Faisal Baghdadi, the host of the Secular Jihadists of the Middle East. Um, today we have an, a great guest that many of our audience and people from around the world wanted to listen to. And we have Yasmin Muhammad, the author of Confessions of an Ex-Muslim. And people can check out her websites, uh, confessionsofanexmuslim.com. We have Armin Navabi, the founder of Atheist Republic from Iran. And we have Ali, not to be confused with Imam Ali, but uh, oh, it's Ali. It's okay, Riz, confuse me. That's all right. I can confuse you. Okay. Um, Ali is the author of uh, The Atheist Muslim, and he's going to do the introduction to our guest today. Um, hello, everybody. Welcome to Secular Jihadists from the Middle East. Fessel, thank you for that introduction to my introduction. Okay, this is getting really meta. Um, today we have with us uh, the uh, famous Australian imam. It's uh, Imam Muhammad Tawhidi. Uh, imam, thank you for being with us. Uh, the imam was, uh, he's uh, originally from Iran. Uh, he is fairly controversial nowadays. He has been, uh, many people think of him as a reformist and a refreshing voice, whereas uh, others think of him as someone who is anti-Islam and anti-Muslim. And this conversation has been going around for a while. So we have him here today and uh, hopefully we'll, uh, you know, shed some light on what makes him tick, some of his ideas, and um, let's see how this conversation goes. Welcome, Imam. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters. Thank you for having me. And sister, thank you for having me. Uh, just a bit of a uh, correction, if I may. I was born in Iran. I'm actually from Iraq. So Iranian born ah, and okay. raised in Australia. Yes. Shlonik. Okay. Alhamdulillah. That works. <laughs> we have, uh, so we have a imam. We have on this podcast, we have uh, both uh, an Iraqi, which is Faisal Sayyid al-Muttar. And we have an Iranian, uh, which is Armin Navabi. Um, we act, you're, you're from a Shia background. Uh, three of us are also from a Shia background. The only uh, Sunni person who's going to keep us in check here, right? Yaz is um, well, ex-Sunni from a Sunni background is Yasmin Muhammad. Um, so uh, this should be interesting because I know a lot of the criticism that's leveled against you is about this whole Shia Sunni thing. So um, I hope that uh, we can sort of, um, uh, at, at some point, yeah, compensate for that here. Um, and uh, this should be a fair uh, sort of uh, session, hopefully. So with that, I'll hand it to the lady. That leads me into into my first question. Um, so Imam Tawhidi, there, I wanted to ask you about the difference between the reform that you are suggesting and the reform of the more commonly heard. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of background of what I'm thinking. When you started to talk about um, Prophet Muhammad being the perfect man 
and how there's some discrepancy between him being the perfect man and some historical evidence of him doing imperfect things. So what other reformers have done is they've said things like, well, actually, he didn't do that. So actually, he was peaceful and he only fought back in self-defense. Oh, actually, Aisha was 19. She wasn't nine. And that's hard to sell. That kind of reform is hard to sell. But what I heard you saying was the opposite. And that was, so the Prophet Muhammad was perfect. Therefore, any evidence that we have that contradicts the fact that he's perfect means that there's something wrong with the evidence. So like the Hadith, for example, it's 200 years after his death. We don't necessarily know the uh, the authenticity of it. So there's something, the information that we're getting about Prophet Muhammad must be incorrect because he is a perfect human being. And I actually think that would work because as a, I was a very, very devout, uh, you know, Salafi, Wahhabi, whatever you want to call it, Muslim. And that would have, that actually would have worked for my, my mind at the time. Um, but there are different reformers saying different things. Like Ayan Hirsi Ali is saying that the Quran isn't necessarily the word of God. Um, it's just inspired by, and I've heard you say that it's the Hadith are problematic. I don't think I've heard you say that the Quran is problematic. Um, and I also heard you say on the Gadsad episode that you don't consider yourself Sunni or Shia, but you just consider yourself Muslim. So all of this preamble is, is just to ask you this charge against you, that you're only critical of Sunni Islam, that your brand of reform is only to, to say there are, the problems are with Sunni Islam. However, Shia Islam is perfectly fine. And that's actually what you're, what you're pushing. So. Um, can you respond to those criticisms, please? Thank you very much. To begin with, uh, I'd like to say that what you have shed light upon right now uh, is somewhat accurate uh, towards my statements in the past. However, I will be recording several episodes titled My Beliefs and other episodes uh, that will shed light on how I believe or my proposal as to how Islam can be reformed. Uh, therefore, I will be explaining in detail in those episodes as to what exactly I believe in and where Islam should be heading to be the religion that everybody can coexist with. As for now, uh, with regards to the Prophet Muhammad and reformers or the Quran and reformers, there's a big difference between being a Muslim wanting to reform and a Muslim who has studied Islam wanting to reform. There's a big difference between the two. A Muslim wanting to reform usually comes from a background where he or she are not happy with their lifestyle or they've been through some hardships and now they want to reform or that they've, they've been affected by certain things within society. They want to turn around and prevent their friends from being radicalized and then they turn out to be well-spoken, uh, well-read uh, authors or people who conduct conferences and so on and they have a, a, a message to preach. However, when it comes to someone who, uh, just like myself, I'm a grandson of an Ayatollah, son of a senior cleric. Me, myself, I spent uh, over a decade in the Islamic seminaries. 
And from my live shows on Facebook, such as Sharia Talk, people see that I don't need to spend many hours uh, digging for what is wrong with the, the religion. I can easily point it out because that's exactly what I've been taught and I know where the problem lies in our books. Uh, when coming to the character of Prophet Muhammad, uh, we cannot come and say everything is perfect or everything is not perfect. The character of the Prophet Muhammad, according to every Muslim, is the best character ever. But according to anyone outside of Islam, he's a historical figure, someone that existed. And there are arguments that he didn't even exist, just like Jesus Christ. And all of these arguments need to be respected. The main problem that Muslims have fallen into is that they believe, the majority of Muslims believe, that Prophet Muhammad is a regular figure, a regular figure. That for the rest of, of humanity is no problem. Prophet Muhammad can be considered as a regular figure, as a thinker, as a philosopher, or even someone who had an opinion and possibly even misunderstood, a wise man, a good storyteller, whatever. Doesn't make a difference for the rest of the world. What makes a difference uh, is that will this person be the divine role model or no? If he's just a regular figure and you're going to take that regular figure and elevate it to a divine role model, then there's going to be a big clash between a, the regular Muslim being better and more ethical than the prophet they follow, if you see mm -hmm. what I'm getting at. So, mm -hmm. without a doubt, the prophet coming from God, whether it be Muhammad, Moses, Adam, Abraham, Jesus, the concept of prophecy, without mentioning any prophets, the concept of prophecy needs to be an infallible concept. As a God, because I'm not going to worship a God that is not perfect to begin with. So if I will choose to worship a God, I have to worship a God that is perfect. And if I worship a God that is perfect, the link between me and this perfect God also has to be perfect because I will not worship a link that is not perfect, whether it be in Judaism, Christianity, or Islam. This here is the philosophy behind the infallibility of prophets. Therefore, according to my belief, in order to deal with all of the corruption that come with Prophet Muhammad, the narrations saying that Prophet Muhammad was a criminal, was a pedophile, was a terrorist, was this, was that. My version of Prophet Muhammad is that all prophets are infallible. Jesus Christ, Moses, Abraham, and Muhammad as well. They're all infallible. Why? Because if they come from God, then their message needs to be infallible. As part of their tools to spread the message of God, Infallibility is an essential tool, such as lack of forgetfulness. You cannot forget the, mes the, the message of God. You cannot sin in public. You cannot oppress people. You cannot do things that are wrong because it contradicts the message that you've come with. Therefore, all prophets are infallible. Now, if we settle at the fact that all prophets are infallible, it becomes very easy for us to emulate a good figure. The problem with the good figure, whether it be Jesus, whether it be Moses or Muhammad, is that sadly only a minority follow this good figure. And I will not deny that the majority of Muslims follow a terrorist prophet. I will not deny that. It's in the books. We will not deny and the most sacred books. And my episodes on Facebook show that very clearly how Sahel Bukhari is absolutely corrupt and so on. So dealing with the figures that existed in history, 
needs to be dealt with from a strictly philosophical, fundamental concept, because that's the only way you can corner religion. It's either black or white. Which one is it? If he was corrupt, then the God he came from was corrupt. If you believe that God is good, then you're still a Muslim. Therefore, the prophet that came from that God needs to be good, because God's not going to send someone who the people are better than him. So what's the point? If I'm better than the prophet, I might as well follow myself. Then, uh, hey, Imam, can I, can I interrupt just really quickly for one thing please. you said when you said sacred books, um, and you're talking about you know Sahih Bukhari and everything and that being corrupt. Um, what about the Quran itself? I mean, that was also part of Yasmin's question. Is uh, in the Quran itself there are many problematic things um, that that we've seen. A lot of us have studied it in a lot of depth, and uh, they also come across often as corrupt in the way that that you're describing the Sahih Bukhari hadith to be. So, can you comment on that? Why do you see the Quran as different? I'll comment on your question, then I'd like to go back to the Shia Sunni issue that Sister Yasmin questioned me about. Uh, sure. With regards to the Quran, Muslims do not t uh, learn the Quran as a narrated scripture. They treat it as a word of God. However, the Hadith, we can easily reject the Hadith as a step towards reformation because it's not the word of God. It's what they believe could be God's law. And that's what Sharia law basically is. Volume 3 of the Bukhari just focuses on what this man, Bukhari, believes is the interpretation of the Word of God. So that's his opinion. We can easily put that aside and focus on uh, a better understanding of the Quran. Coming back to your question with regards to the Quran, Muslims treat the Quran as the Word of God. If it's the Word of God, it's going to be extremely difficult for anyone to change it. And it hasn't been changed. And I don't really think it's going to be changed. It will not be changed. Uh, simply because the uh, religion has been formed and spread and transmitted through oral transmission. So if you're going to change the Quran, they're just going to type it up again because they've memorized all of it. Uh, this oral transmission and the word of mouth and the memorization of the Quran will prevent anyone trying to change it. Uh, with the, the problematic verses in the Quran, uh, there's a huge difference between the verses that were appropriate for the time they were revealed in and the time we are living in now. I'll give you an example. One of the main verses that we all have a problem with is the beat your wife verse, you know, beat her up. And mm -hmm. I'm not going to deny that. We'll have many people who come out and say, no, 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 it's not this. It means that. It means uh, touch. It means uh, with a small stick. It's a blessing. All of this is nonsense. Beat your wife is beat your wife. It's as clear as that. And in in the study of principle in Usul, uh, when we study in the Islamic seminaries, there's a absolute statement and there's a limited statement. And many reformers do not understand this, and unfortunately, many people don't don't get this. Maybe because of the the uh, the the language barrier between themselves and the Quran. But what I mean by absolute statement, I'll take it to another verse in the Holy Quran. Wal Asr. Wal Asr is the the chapter of time. It's a very short chapter. Uh, the the Quran says, "Inna al-insan fi khusr." Verily, man is in loss. This statement is an absolute statement, which means all man, all of mankind, is in loss, including prophets, uh, messengers, human beings, and what and everyone. Uh, therefore, the verse after it says, "Illa ladina amanu," except those who believe. Uh, 
this here makes the first verse a limited verse. It's not absolute. Uh, and in uh, in the science of Quran, it's called al-itlaq, mutlaq and taqid, al-itlaq and taqid. Coming to the verse where it says, beat your wife or kill the Jews or kill the people, it's giving you absolute permission. It's not limiting you to how many you can kill. It's not limiting you to how many times you can beat her. With what you can beat her, I understand that there are prophetic traditions that say, look, you can beat this many times, but that's, it doesn't help. The, the way I believe we need to deal with these verses is that we look at the, the logical uh, aspect of why this verse was actually revealed. Firstly, this verse wasn't revealed to me. It was revealed to a society that was burying its women alive. And when you're burying your newborn girl alive, the only way to solve this problem is by solving it gradually. You cannot come and change an entire culture that believes women are ashamed to society. You cannot change that overnight. Why? Because they were living and expanding based upon battles and wars and female hostages. And it's a shame upon a man, an Arab man in those, in those times, to actually uh, be uh, put in a position where his daughter is captured as a hostage by uh, the enemy. So they would bury them alive to pre prevent themselves from the uh, potential shame. And also there are many other things surrounding the, that, uh, such as the son will grow to carry the name of the father, the daughter will not. So the mentality back in the day, there was a big problem with the mentality. And when they were burying their daughters alive, you can only solve this problem gradually. So Islam came and wanted to focus on keeping them alive as first step. Step one, let's keep them alive. But they still hate these women. So Islam says, keep them alive. But if they annoy you as they're growing up, then you can beat them up. Islam was speaking to that mentality. It wasn't speaking to me. We don't have any woman here that's being buried alive and in, is in need of a beating at all. So we can easily take a look at this verse and say, yes, this here shows me the development of Islam and how it maintained the life of the female amongst a barbaric and corrupt community and society. Now that we don't have such a problem where people are burying their girls alive, we can not apply this verse at all. There are uh, verses that come and say, sorry, interpretations of the Quran that come and say, the word, uh, um, which means beat them is actually or strike them is actually referring to a strike similar to hunger strike and uh, uh, you 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 strike against them which means you don't sleep with them and that's nonsense I don't believe in that uh, a strike means a strike and it means hit this is what what the Quran meant and the philosophy was to keep those girls alive. And as they grew older, they would get married and it would be very hard to bury them alive anymore. So the main focus was to keep them alive at that time. And now we do not endorse any, any beating to any wife or any lady. And we don't have that problem in our society. And there's no need for that solution is not appropriate in our society anymore. Leave the verse there, consider it part of the development of Islam. Do not apply it in, in our days. So Imam, what about the Muslims that will tell you that Islam is perfect for all people for all time? Uh, 
with regards to people who say Islam is perfect for all people for uh, all times, there's no evidence for that. It's perfect for an individual. On an individual basis, it could be perfect for them in all times, but they cannot mm-hmm. speak on behalf of everyone. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for responding to that. Oh, actually, you you've the part the question about the Sunni Shia thing. So you said on Gadsad's episode that you are neither Sunni nor Shia. That you're a Muslim. There's a big difference between Sunni and Sunni people, Sunni Islam and Sunni people, and Shia Islam and Shia people. The main creed of the Shia is to promote the teachings of the family of the Prophet. Sunni Islam has transformed from succession to kingship after the, the death of Prophet Muhammad. And when when we're dealing with caliphs who live the lives of kings, it becomes very easy to spread the message or the kingdoms uh, by the sword. And the the problem that we have here is that many people uh, say Futuhat Islamia, the Islamic conquests, whereby in political science they constitute as invasions and colonization. Uh, they are not conquests and uh, nothing honorable about Islam spreading with by the sword. However, Islam cannot spread by the sword, and it didn't during the time of the Prophet. It happened after the uh, the death of the Prophet. So the blame is is on the caliphs. Uh, with regards to Sunni Islam, I am not afraid of anyone thinking whatever they may think about me. ISIS is Sunni Islam. We will not deny that. Osama bin Laden was a Sunni Muslim. Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab is a Sunni Muslim. Uh, Al-Bukhari was a Sunni Muslim. There's a big problem in Sunni Islam. We, we cannot deny that. Yes, I have Sunni family members. I have Sunni, I had Sunni teachers and I have very close Sunni friends. But if I have a problem with a leader, it doesn't mean I have a problem with the nation. My problem is with the figures that formed Sunni Islam, not with the Sunnis themselves. So people who say Tawhidi is sticking the finger at Sunni Islam, yes, I am with, with full audacity. I will stick the finger in Sunni Islam and Shia Islam when it comes to the radicalization. And the Ahmadiyya who, are, who, who seem to be so peaceful, uh, you know, love for all, hatred for none, but they are persecuting and killing the, the Lahori Ahmadiyyas in India. Uh, and also the Sufis, they have violence and the Shia, Hezbollah and the Irani government. Yes, we criticize everyone that is radical, everyone that is an extremist. However, Sunni Islam is the majority, so they will be copying the most amount of uh, criticism from me, and I will I will not shy away from that. That is not my main focus, but it is part of my, my program to criticize all radicals, and mashallah, Sunni Islam ranks the number one when it comes to extremism. Yeah, they're, they're doing pretty well. Okay, that's awesome. And you know what? I am behind you. I totally agree with what you said. Criticize them all. Criticize all of the the extremists. Um, and I was behind you fully until I saw the tweets that you tweeted to Theresa May about the drastic measures that um, you wanted to take. And I'm wondering if those measures which seemed to me uh more like a, a police state mm-hmm. uh, yes can you go through some of those for the people who are not familiar with it could you i'm, I'm pulling them I'm out saying. now okay thank yeah, you. If you could so it, it, were you not concerned when you were 
tweeting those that you would lose supporters like me that are secular liberal individuals. I'll pull out the uh, the tweets because I think part of secularism is freedom uh, of religion and freedom from religion, of course, right? Uh, and I if I think uh, there's been a huge misunderstanding when it comes to the uh, the tweets that I made, and. Okay. Uh, it's very, very sad that, I'm not saying you, but people were saying that Tawhid is calling for a police state. The tweet clearly says we need to crack down on Wahhabism at the end. Right, right. So if people don't believe Wahhabism is a problem, uh, that's not my problem. We clearly have a problem with Wahhabism and Wahhabism needs to be stopped. And if you can see, I said Wahhabism there. Sorry, I'm just waiting for it to. Yeah. It clearly said Wahhabism. And then I gave the points, which is ban Islamic preachers coming into the country. And I'm still so you speaking mean about, Islamic about Wahhabism. Then yes. Uh, then I said, send back the Saudi ambassador, because that's true. Saudi Arabia funds Wahhabi ideology. And then I said, confiscate and investigate all books within mosques. That is true. The books of Ibn Taymiyyah, Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, the Kitab al-Tawheed, the book of uh, monotheism that focuses on butchering and killing everyone that doesn't believe in his ideology. I, I don't disagree with you. I, I agree with you that there is a huge problem with Wahhabi Islam. And uh, yeah. th that's not a question. My My question is, these measures that you want to put into place, don't you think that they contradict secularism? Well, if you're faced with a ideology that wants to come and behead you, and the funny thing is, the funny thing is, all of these points that I have uh, mentioned, ban all donation tins, education departments need to have an officer in all schools, install cameras in mosques, um, you know, checkpoints in front of mosques, uh, freeze bank accounts belonging to radical imams and centers. Uh, all of these points are being applied today in Saudi Arabia. All of them. All of these points today They're in Saudi Arabia. They're not a secular state, though. They're a theocracy. Well, they've, under they've understood the danger of Wahhabism. You see, so Hizb al-Tahrir has banned, uh, sorry, Saudi Arabia has banned Hizb al-Tahrir. But the UK has allowed Hizb al-Tahrir. Do you see where I'm coming from? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that's definitely a problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's okay for Muslim countries to understand the threat of radical Islam and then ban or take serious measures. We're, if we're talking national security, please don't give me the argument of secularism or human rights or police state. It's either they're going to butcher us or we're going to stop them from butchering us. It's one of these two options. Because we've seen what ISIS has done in Mosul, and we've seen what it's done to Paris and Europe and Sweden and London, and we've seen what it's done to Australia, uh, and it's not something that's going to stop anytime soon. So it's either we deal with it uh, by putting religion aside and put human rights aside and say, look, we have a big problem. And this is why I support Donald Trump in this, because it's either we have a big problem or we don't. If 
there's a big difference between a problem and a big problem. It's either we have a big problem or we don't. We have a huge problem. I completely so, agree. Imam, to and clarify, I think when I just you, let me finish, Ali, please. So when it comes to Hizb Tahrir or when it comes to the Muslim Brotherhood, I completely agree with what you're saying. But when you're talking about putting cameras in a mosque, now we're not just talking about people that are part of those organizations. We're just talking about regular Muslim people. I wasn't referring I to regular Muslim people. I was speaking about Wahhabism. Okay. And okay. even if we were speaking about regular Muslim people, I was someone who was about to be radicalized from regular Muslim mosques. So I know exactly. I used to be a preacher in those mosques, so I know exactly what the curriculum is like and what the the, the agendas are like, sister. So when when someone like me who used to lead prayers in mosques turns around and says, "Can we please have some cameras here?" I know exactly what's going on. All right, go ahead, Ali. Uh, okay, yeah, no, I just wanted to move it uh, over to Armin. So Armin has a couple of questions that he's going to ask. So we're going one by one, and um, we all had a, a few questions that we want to ask. So Armin, go ahead. Yeah, I'll I'll ask my questions really fast so I give the the people a chance. Uh, so you mentioned that um, I think you still believe that the, the Quran is perfect and God is perfect, and uh, given that the Quran is perfect, I think part of the perfection is should should also be effective communication, right? And uh, I think sorry, like, brother. Uh, the, sorry, uh, just to uh, to steer your question in the right way, uh, the Quran, in my opinion, isn't. Uh, a book that we can label perfect or imperfect, because it's not a complete uh, uh, it's not a complete manual for what we can call perfect or non-perfect. It's a book of formulas. And if I may clarify for one second, Einstein and many other philosophers have written encyclopedias, and I've said this before. Uh, God surely has more than one book to say. He has a lot of things he wants to say. And uh, surely he has more to say than these philosophers that we have on, on earth. Uh, therefore, the book that constitutes from 300 to 400 pages will be sent once. It won't be sent in an in a edition form. Therefore, it's a book of formulas. It's a book of history. It's a book of law. It's a book of stories. It's a book of love, hate. It's a book of everything. And the interpretations, which, which extend but to sometimes 50... Is it a direct word of God? Yes, according so to, to what we believe. So it can't have any mistakes? Brother, there's a big difference between mistakes and uh, imperfection. There's a big difference between mistakes and imperfection. And what I mean, sorry, I apologize. I'm speaking on a theological level with you. The difference between a mistake and something that's not perfect, a mistake is a clear error. Something that's imperfect is something that we cannot relate to, something that we find ugly. If, it, if it's coming from God, uh, even in the Bible or the Torah, if it's from God, then the ugly is beautiful and the beautiful is, is beautiful, if you see where I'm coming from. But, but, but going away from God in the Quran itself, it says that it's a book for everybody and it's supposed to be a complete book and it's supposed to have, it's, it's the only book you need. That, that's what it mentions in the Quran. And it's supposed to be good. It's supposed to be a book not just for theologians and scholars. It's supposed to be a book that even shepherds and um, non-educated people can use. And, and but my, getting to my question is like, is that if, if God wrote this book, whether it's perfect or not perfect, um, it seems like a very bad um, communication if if he wanted to say that these are the rules for specific people at a specific time, and but it, it, he could have 
pretty much made it very easily made it clear, like, by the way, these rules apply for these people, not for everybody. Uh, but in fact, it does the opposite. It does mention that this book is for all people and, 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 and at all times. And I mean, and also the, the gradual argument that you can't change things overnight. I do think that uh, Muhammad with the Quran did change many things overnight very significantly, like the 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 Quraysh and ask the, the question. Hmm? Just just ask the Imam a question. So, no, I'm I am asking the question. Yes, okay. just give me a second. I'm just saying you isn't isn't Muhammad's isn't the Quran already a big overnight change from going to the main source of profit for Mecca that was worshiping the gods who all of a sudden going to Tawheed and worshiping only just one god that was a significant change that wasn't that in that revolutionized the way people looked at everything so if that was a revolutionary change why is uh, not beating your wife or why is not slaves don't don't have slaves why why couldn't he introduce i mean is he's God? Why can't he introduce his commandment that are good for all time? I mean, wouldn't it be easier instead of trying to in, in, educate people with theology and all these gymnastic arguments? Wouldn't it be easier to just use logic and sense and be like, wait, this whole Quran thing and this God things—we don't really have any evidence for any of this. Why? Uh, why not just use our own logic and also sense of kind, kindness? to see what's good and what's right. And I think that's what actually you're doing. Isn't that what you're doing? You, you're you not using the Quran and Islam to figure out what's good. Oh, you're yeah, actually Ali, using your... Oh, bro, brother, your, uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, let, let, me, let me finish. Okay. Um, uh, firstly, Muhammad did not worship the gods in Mecca to then switch to Tawheed. He was a Ibrahimi. He was on the religion of Abraham, Hanif. I didn't say that, yeah. And uh, his main... Uh, core belief, even before the religion of Islam, was the one God, one Creator for all. So the foundation for yes. Islam was already within within his belief system. Uh, as for the the Quran being sent to all people, yes, accessibility is for all people, but the Quran itself doesn't speak to all people. In the Quran, one time it says, "Ya ayuhan nas, o people," and then "Ya ayuhan mu'minun, o believers, o Muslims, o people." For example, O oh people, we created you as male and female. But O oh believers, do not backbite each other. There's a big difference. So there's one time God speaks to the, to the Muslim and one time speaks to all people. And when God sends a book, I mean, accessibility, it's for everyone. No one's limited to, to reading the Quran or not. It's there for everyone. Just because it's there for everyone, it doesn't mean it's some sort of authority upon anyone. Uh, and then going back to your question, uh, that whether the Quran is perfect or not, that doesn't make a difference at all for any, any of us. Uh, the, the thing is how we apply the Quran. You bring Tawhidi and you say, Tawhidi, what the hell are you doing hugging the Christian? And the Jew, and you're eating food with, with, with the Buddhist. What's going on, man? I say, look in the Quran. It's in the Quran. Love your brother what you love. Love each other. It's there. Love and, and care. You bring ISIS. Why are you, why you butchering people? It's in the Quran. It, both of us uh, read from the same Quran, but the, the issue is how it's interpreted. Well, that's my point. My, that my point is that you're not... If anybody could look at the Quran and get something different out of it, then they're not using the Quran for their moral compass. They're using their own sense of logic and kindness for, and then they're trying to use the Quran to 
reflect to make it seem like it's reflecting their own sense of kindness. I think maybe if you're promoting peace, it's not because Islam is peaceful, it's because you are a peaceful man, not the Quran. Uh, and I think then why not just get rid of Islam and the Quran and just promote peace? You really want me to get killed, don't you? <laughs> you want me to get to say, That's not an answer. <laughs> I have to say, the imam is you, you, really, really brave to come and you speak want me to, to get four ex-Muslims. No. <laughs> All right, listen. No, but that, I think let that's me a great you. question. I'd, I'd love to, yeah. Go yeah, ahead. Let, let, let me answer you. Um, brother, you've skipped a huge, a huge topic, and that is why people are religious in the first place. I mean, it's not like I don't know that I don't need religion to know that killing my parents is bad. It's within my essence. Killing anyone is bad. Insulting anyone is bad. I don't need God to tell me it's bad so that I know it's bad. I know what's bad and I know what's good. Uh, so that there is, is something that both of us can agree on. It's within our essence as human beings that we lean towards what is good naturally. We, we know what is good and we know what is bad. Unless there are certain exceptions, uh, people might be mentally challenged and so on. They start life hating people, killing people like Saddam Hussein or even Khomeini. Uh, coming to the, uh, the answer, uh, people embrace religions for a reason. And that is because they honestly and with clean hearts want to become better people. That's the belief that's out there. And sometimes even religious people that embrace certain religions feel that even that religion is not enough for them. So they want to go to a higher level. And in Shia Islam, in Shia Islam, we call it the Arfani, the more mystic uh, level of, of belief in faith, where they detach themselves from materialistic uh, uh, things in life and even perfume and women and so on. And you can even find this in the Catholic Church as well. The point is, and even, even sometimes you'll find... Uh, people from other religions or even Islam that are religious, are devout, but still crave for more. They want that higher level of spirituality. And they'll find that within organizations such as the Freemasons or even the Rotary Club or many other organizations that, that give them that sense of responsibility, love and care and uh, agreement that yes, we have to strive to be more perfect people. And that does involve money and giving money from your pockets and staying up all night and doing good charity work. Now, I'm not saying that you need to join some sort of an organization to be a good person. But you see, brother, we're not all the same. We're not all the same. May, I, I, I know that I'm a peaceful person, but sometimes when the human being is told that if you do such a thing, then you will be considered a good person in the eyes of God. Maybe it's that, that in the eyes of God, which we believe in, I believe in, I will be considered good. If I did such a thing, I'd rather be considered good in the eyes of God than, than just in the eyes of the people. That's how people think. And I'm not speaking about myself. I'm just letting you know how people think. Some people would be like, why not? But, but if that was true, then you would find less morality among atheists. I don't, I don't think people, people's religious beliefs makes them 
um, more more moral. In fact, a lot of good people might end up doing more evil things because of religion, because they thought it was good. Like religion doesn't really make moral people or bad people more moral. I mean, we can see that, you know, there is no atheists on an average are just as same as other religious people. So given that religion is not really helping people be more, more moral, and in fact might mislead people uh, because it's, it's, it's a guide to life, like you said, maybe like a handbook uh, written many years ago by people that didn't understand how psychology works, how how biology works. Why, if people need community, if people need hope, if people need spirituality, why not go get Sam Harris's book on spirituality, uh, waking up his waking up book? Why not find better, new modern ways uh, that are have better understanding of society, of of our needs, of our how the body works? Why why go to the goat herders guide to the galaxy? rather than um you know rather than you know modern more modern understand yeah sorry people are telling me to stop yeah i'm gonna let you he's, he's a he's you're 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 he's a muslim no but, the, no, but the question i don't think the question is legitimate no but the question is i think the question is legitimate right the, i mean it's oh. this is why we're having the conversation so i mean imam like with brothers feel you know free we, ask me whatever you like yeah. we're all brothers and sister yes is my sister Ask me anything you like, Please. but do yeah. not forget that I am a practicing Muslim and mm -hmm. I am a Muslim because I studied my religion. So at one point in time, I did uh, say to myself, okay, am I a Muslim because I was born a Muslim or because I want to uh, actually be in this religion? And I did study back my religion and I, I stayed a Muslim. Uh, maybe, maybe the I would agree with you on certain things, but I would change the category that I'm I'm rejecting. I would rather reject the interpretations of the Quran uh, completely and the Hadith completely, and look at the Quran as a historical book that shows me the development of Islam, rather than just say, oh, "Why are you guys even following religions? Let's wipe it out," because that's not going to happen. I'm a very realistic person, brother, and part of of um, my dialogues is that we keep it on a realistic level. When you tell me, "Why don't you just get rid of it?" It's not going to work, brother. Even if if God doesn't exist, what did the, what what did the the Arabs do? They brought dates and wood, and they worshipped it. So th that's man. That's human being. It's never going to all go away. So why not steer it in the right direction? Yeah. I'm just going to make two comments before I give it to Ali to really to, uh, quick. I, I, I knew I knew Muhammad was Abrahamic. Uh, uh, I was just saying that he revolutionized what happened in Mecca, not among, between himself. So I was wondering why he couldn't revolutionize a whole bunch of other things. And also when it regards to people saying it's not going to happen, I also think the reform is very unlikely. I do see a lot of people leaving Islam more than... So I, 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 people say like 1.6 billion Muslims are not going to leave Islam. When, uh, but uh, my response to that is that it's not an all or none game. The, we're going to look at what, who has the best arguments, not who's going to convert 1.6 billion people. I, I just don't think that uh, the reform movement m might not have the best arguments to gain a lot of support. I might be wrong, and I'm happy to support whoever's doing whatever they're going to try. I just think the ex-Muslim movement might have a better shot at this. Anyways, mm -hmm. um, Ali, sorry for taking your yeah. time. Um, uh, Imam, actually, this conversation actually reminds me of, uh, I, I was considering whether to say this on air or not, but I do have a close relative who was actually 
trained at the Gum Seminary as well. And uh, he was my roommate when we were younger for about three years. So we used to have conversations like this. And one thing that I liked about him and one thing that he liked about me, even though we completely disagreed on everything, is the fact that we were able to have tough conversations. And I know that that's part of, uh, I think, uh, the training that happens in Qom, uh, right? And uh, according to him, at least. So uh, I, I hope that you can uh, take that in stride and just know of that course. we do respect you for coming on our podcast. Brothers, so I, I, have said, a question. I said, please, uh, don't treat me as a... As as a pope, right? We're all friends, and please, oh, no, just, no, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. We're we're very. It's very hard for us to do that, as you just saw. So, um, it, here's uh, one thing I'm gonna sort of build on what what Armin talked about. So I, ha I have two questions. The first one is uh, that uh, Christopher Hitchens um, had a challenge that he used to ask his audiences to do, and this is related to what Armin talked about. And he used to say that name me one moral act or one moral utterance that is said by believers or done by believers that cannot be done by a non-believer. And nobody was able to come up with anything. It turned out that people who are atheists and non-believers can be just as moral and do just as much good philanthropy, anything else, as religious people. Then the second part of his challenge was that name me one wicked or um, immoral act that can only be done by a religious person that cannot be done, that, that a non-believer wouldn't have any reason to do. And obviously there were many, uh, many acts that came around uh, that, uh, that were mentioned uh, from, uh, you know, well, you know, all, all of the things that religion, uh, many of the commands are actually not good. So um, in the end, the question was that, do you really need it to be good in that sense? Do you need religion to be good? Why not just uh, cut out the middleman? And, what do you think about that? Do you think that you need this? Do you think this makes you a better person? Or uh, do you just adopt it because it's something that you feel personal to? I think uh, the, uh, uh, the the question that uh, Christopher asked, he asked it knowing that it won't be answered. So there are questions mm -hmm. that are asked when the person who is asking actually knows there's going to be no answer. And this reminds me of what's happening now in the Middle East between Qatar and Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia put conditions on Qatar knowing it's not going to accept them. Uh, so when, when you know oh, it, it's it, not... This is different though. Like this is obviously... No, it's, this, it's the same thing. This is a question It's the that... same thing. No, it's the same thing because you can't really uh, come and say, uh, name me one thing that religion has that considers good, rephrasing his question, and that you won't find that in atheism or anyone that's not religious. Uh, it doesn't mm -hmm. exist because the the main the main uh, um, matter here is that we have misunderstood the purpose of religion to begin with. To begin with, religion isn't uh, focused on making us better human beings. That's not the purpose of religion. God created us. Uh, what we, we what I say, He created us, uh, leaning towards the good side of things without having religions at all. So whether you have a religion or you don't, you're actually leaning towards the good anyway. And the purpose of believing in God isn't to be a good person. So you don't believe in God or anyone else doesn't believe in God. doesn't mean you're a bad person. The belief in God actually is a logical uh, answer to how we came to be. That's all it is. And the worship uh, that comes after that is, do we have 
something to contribute to this God that gave us parents and, and, and life and, and health and so on? Or do we not? So that's basically it. Where did we come from? Where are we now? Are we in debt to this God or not? And where are we going? That's the whole discussion when it comes to religion. It's got nothing to do with how much charity you're giving. And, and there are atheist charities and who do better than Muslims. It, it doesn't work like that. It's got nothing to do with being good. Yes, there are Muslims that... Uh, take a look at the Quran and see all of the encouragements there and the, the rewards promised for certain things and then they go on uh, doing that, then yes, they're doing good expecting a religious reward in the hereafter, paradise or, or whatever. But the point is, that's not the main re reason why they're religious. They're religious because they believe they came to be from a God. So it's an opinion mm -hmm. of it, how, how we existed. I think I think that's a fair answer, and and uh, this is one of the struggles that I went through uh, when I was I was like, okay, so for me, I mean, we had different paths. For me, when I saw the way that the universe was, you know, time dilation, binary pulsars, all of these different things, to me, it felt like if there was a power, it was much much bigger than what I saw in the Quran. Uh, for you, I, I think it it led to a different conclusion. So that's fair. Um, I I wanted to get to. Uh, another question, and this is about uh, one of the controversial things that you've said. So this is, we're going into uh, politics. Um, there is an Australian senator named Pauline Hanson, which mm. who, who you seem to have supported, who heads the One Nation Party. And uh, one of the things that she has done is she has proposed a ban on Muslim immigration, but she has said, quote, we have laws that we don't bring in pit bull terriers because they're a danger to our society. And she has compared Muslim immigration to bringing in pit bull terriers. And the second thing she's done is she floated the hashtag pray for Muslim ban uh, after one of the terrorist attacks. And, and you have praised her. Uh, you have come under criticism for it. You have said, quote, if we had politicians like Pauline Hansen in Iraq, my hometown, we wouldn't have had ISIS come in. And that makes sense in some ways. The fact that you wouldn't have ISIS come in, you could have much, much worse thing. I mean, if you had Hitler there, you wouldn't have ISIS come in either. Not saying that Pauline Hansen is Hitler, but, you know, there are obviously ways to prevent things uh, that are consistent with Western liberal values and ways to prevent things that aren't, that are more draconian. Um, so that's, I guess, the, the question is, do you think Ms. Hansen's views are compatible with Western values? Our Western values of liber uh, liberty and democracy? Uh, with regards to what I had said in the past regarding Pauline, uh, mm -hmm. Pauline Hansen is different to what you, you see from her. So we in Australia, we see Pauline Hansen differently. Uh, she's a very kind woman. Uh, she's, a, uh, she's very different to what the media portrays her as. I, don't, I have nothing to do with... Uh, her party. I've I've never met her. I've never even exchanged a word with her. Uh, so, when I'm asked about how I feel when it comes to senators rising up mm -hmm. and condemning the radicalization, and to be very fair, she's one of the handful of people that are doing that in this country. I I turn around and say, you know, if we had people like that, always pointing the finger at the corruption within the society and the radicalization or putting in new uh, measures to tackle radical Islam. If we had people like that, then ISIS wouldn't have come into Iraq. But it's not Obviously, just radical Islam. She's saying Muslim immigration and pit bull terriers. I mean, Muslim immigration in general, that's not just radical, right? That's, that's what I was asking. Yeah. Uh, 
Muslim immigration hasn't been successful in Australia at all. I'm not gonna come and tell you, you know, we've had we've had some some amazing things. I can't even walk in the street without getting spat on. We've clearly failed when it comes to immigration completely, and it's because of the Labour Party, not the Liberals. Okay, that Just are now clarification uh, running. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. we failed, and uh, we failed big time. I will not deny this. The fact that we had Man Monas do the Sydney siege, and recently in Ramadan, we had another siege in Melbourne. Uh, we have Hizb tahrir we have the Sydney riots. Uh, I can say this freely because I'm not a, uh, I'm not a politician. And I'm not in any. What about Muslims like yourself, though? There are also Muslims like yourself. You know, that's like you said on the tweet storm that that was about Wahhabism. You said that in here you're talking about curbing radical Islam, but uh, now we're talking about just Muslim immigration. I mean, fair. You want to skip the Wahhabism crackdown, radical Islam? That's fine. We'll we'll actually agree with you on a lot of areas there. But when we're talking about just Muslim immigration, Muslim ban, that includes people like you. By name, it even even includes people like us. Trump's Muslim ban, if I was overseas, I wouldn't be able to come in, even though I'm not even a believing Muslim. So that's the only thing I'm asking you to defend here. Like her comparison of actually all Muslim immigration to pit bull terriers. Is um? Do you think that's consistent with, I mean, should we I don't know. I think, I think. I think you still have that in you from from the time you were Muslim that dogs are not good. I think dogs are cute when when it comes to to Australian speaking. Do you I think, think that's like what dogs. Pauline Hanson meant that we should allow cute Muslims in, and, but not well, the other one? May, maybe she was referring to the danger, not necessarily you know implying that we're dogs. Um, okay. Looking at the uh, the when I, well, look all of my statements on immigration, even when I said we failed, mm-hmm. uh, I don't really mean immigration completely. I mean the past at least twenty years that we've opened our doors to these boats to come in, and we've had a big problem. We've had a big problem. These radicals coming in, and you know, it's a big problem. When we need to turn around. And look at what we've had and consider it experience and try to build upon that for the future. I okay. came here. I'm, I'm going to pass I didn't it along come here to, as a refugee. Yeah. I apologize. I didn't come to Australia as a refugee. I came to Australia on a family visa. And uh, it was mm. my uncles that invited my mother. And I was uh, obviously uh, born at the time. So I came uh, along with my mother. Mm. When we came here, we came knowing 100%. There was no imam. Zade, uh, no shrine, nothing. And we wanted to live the Western lifestyle. And we came and we had already adapted to Australia the time they issued the visa for us. We were all ready to go. And many Iranians are like that. Some Iranians, the moment they sit in the airplane, uh, before the door even closes, the, the hijabs are off and we've already adapted before we land. And then you have people who come here with an agenda, you know, it's kafir land, and we're only going to go there to spread Islam. You know, the, this mentality is wrong, and that's that's exactly what I'm opposing. I'm not opposing mm-hmm. uh, the, the fact that uh, people come to this country. We have good students that come and uh, get married and then stay in Australia and serve the, the nation. That's no problem in that. But yes. if you're going to come here uh, trying to uh, uh, impose your culture on us, and I say your culture because I live the uh, the Australian culture completely. I may dress like this. This is my uniform. What can I do? Uh, mm. But this is exactly what the problem. We have. We're heading towards a cultural genocide. 
this is a big problem and we need to preserve the Australian way of life. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not prepared to, to live once again amongst people who wanted to butcher us. Okay. So I wanted to pass this along to Faisal. And I guess uh, the, really the conversation, Faisal is himself as an Iraqi refugee. And the conversation really, my, it was really about whether we should use these terms, like say what you said, which is you're speaking about specific kinds of Muslims, whereas talk about Muslims in general. But Faisal, uh, go ahead. I'm going to close it off with you. Hello, Imam. Uh, thank you so much for giving us your time. I mean, I actually would like to get back the conversation back to religion for a bit and reform, because I think it's it's very important what you're saying. I mean, my my first question is, so you talk you talked about infallibility. Um, do you extend the infallibility to the 12 imams of uh, after, I mean, the 12 imams of Shia Islam, or do you think it's only about Muhammad that was infallible? That's my first question. I'm going to move. The second one. So I answer you now? Yeah, yeah, answer me now. Yeah, and then I'll go to the, yeah. All creations have a level of infallibility. All creations. So starting from us and leading back to God, the level of infallibility differs. What infallibility really is, is a protection and shield from doing wrong. That's basically what infallibility is. It's a protection and shield from doing wrong, stemming from the knowledge that we have regarding that wrong. So, for example, I can prevent myself from drinking urine. I can prevent myself from eating babies. That shield that I have, that I can prevent myself from falling into error, such as this, is called a level of infallibility. And that is probably the lowest levels of infallibility, where you can prevent yourself from falling into error normally. But I cannot prevent myself from, for example, uh, getting angry. I cannot prevent myself from telling someone to leave me alone, get lost. Or when someone uh, angers me and then says, Salamu alaikum to me and I don't respond to them, I can't prevent myself from that. So there are things that are considered uh, unethical, to a certain level and then I could fall uh, in, but I will be able to protect myself in other aspects of life from falling into error because that's the level of infallibility that I have. Uh, prophets have higher levels of infallibility, imams have higher level of infallibility, and God is the most infallible. Uh, therefore, yes, all of the 12 imams have infallibility and the only reason they have Uh, infallibility higher than my infallibility is because all of the imams were actually uh, placed on a mission to spread Islam, spread the message. And if you're going to spread the message, you have to be higher than the people in society. So we have uh, many terms where where infallibility is is misunderstood. Uh, There's infallibility for a divinely appointed figure, and there's infallibility for a human being. What infallibility? Asma. It's asma. Asma basically means that you can... For example, the water of the ocean is considered infallible water. It cannot be uh, uh, polluted by uh, 
all of the if the whole of humanity goes into the 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 water ocean and, and tries to pollute it it's not going to work the ocean will purify the whole of humanity why because that is ma'sum that is infallible water and the same with all of us we have levels of infallibility where we can prevent ourselves from falling into certain sins but we can't prevent ourselves from falling into other sins because our level is the lowest level out there and then the higher level is the level of the prophets and imams and and god so, uh, so I have a follow-up question on this. Uh, so, I mean, I'm sure as many of you are familiar with Ma'arakta Jamal, the camel battle between Imam Ali. Uh, so that's one of the main questions that I used to ask Imams in Baghdad about this. And Imam Ali, and for those who probably don't know, Imam Ali uh, was the fourth caliph, who sometimes considered the first caliph by Shia Muslims. Always the first. Always the first uh, <laughs> to some people. So Aisha, who is the wife of the Prophet, and Ali had a war. Ex-wife about, of about, the Prophet. Ex-wife. Ex-wife? Ex-wife. So she's, she, you so. think she was divorced with the Prophet? or? Of course. Okay. Of course. Uh, that's, that's a controversial claim. Um, but if if you're speaking about the Battle of the Camel, that happened after the, the, uh, the life of Prophet Muhammad, so she would have been ex anyway. Yeah, so I mean, so back to the infallibility question is that so I mean, if if we consider the imams to be infallible, right? So, uh, um, and Aisha is considered umbul mu'minin, right? She's the mother of the believers, at least because she was. How come? So you had a war between two people who are deemed to be infallible by by certain sects and certain people. Which one? Which one of the battle was right? Who was the right side of the battle? If if it was a war between two infallible people. If you uh, did you understand my question? So like, I understand your question completely. Completely. Okay. Um, I I really uh, I want to answer you, brother. But can I ask you a question? I'm not sure of your background. Uh, so uh, can you just so, let so me I know what your background was? Did you come from a Sunni background or a Shia background? So, I mean, I came from Mix and I studied, I mean, I studied within Sunni schools in Baghdad. Uh, but then after the Iraq war, so I'm, I'm probably the youngest in this. Uh, so after the Iraq war, the Iraqi education system, as you probably know, started having a Shia influence. So then we got to know about Malak al-Jamal. We never knew about it before during Saddam times. But uh, afterwards, we got to know about Malak al-Jamal. And I've always been taught... And I could be wrong. I mean, and, and probably there are different sects that have different beliefs on this. But Aisha is considered an infallible because she's Umm al-Mu'mineen and Zawjat al-Rasul. They have like a special infallibility status. And uh, Amir al-Mu'mineen, who is Ali ibn Abi Talib, uh, as they say, right, is also has an infallibility. So how can two infallible people have a war? And what would be the right or wrong in this, in this uh, conflict? With regards to Aisha, Aisha was not an infallible. Why? Because the title Umm al-Mu'mineen here is not a title of status. It's a title of uh, marital status. She was walking one day and her cousin Talha, Talha said, أَمَا وَاللَّهِ إِنْ مَاتَ مُحَمَّدٍ Aisha." He says, if Muhammad dies, I will sleep with Aisha. Not at Azawaj Aisha. I will sleep with Aisha, not marry her, just to insult yeah. the Prophet. So the verse came down that says, tell the believers 
that the wives of the Prophet are not to be married by anyone else from the believers who believed in the Prophet because they are now equal in uh, the, uh, the, the, the situation as their own mothers. And in Islam, you can't marry your mother. So Islam basically gave Aisha the, the, not the status of a mother, but the same rulings that would apply to a mother would now apply to Aisha so that Talha could, can no longer marry Aisha. But that was not the case. She got married many times after the death of Prophet Muhammad. And uh, even after uh, the Prophet Muhammad dies, she is no longer the, uh, the mother of believers because that, uh, that's not a virtue for her. That's a virtue for the Prophet, that no one enters his wife after his death. If you see where I'm coming from. Remember yeah. this, we're speaking to an Arab mentality. And this is Arab mentality. You know, like when someone says, comes to you and says that when your wife dies, I'm going to, sorry, when you die, I'm going to sleep with your wife. You know, that's something really big in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the mentality of the Arabs, you know, in the culture of the Arabs. That's something that can spark war. So God comes and says, no, you, you won't be able to marry the prophet's wife. Why? Because we've made her now similar to your mother so one cannot marry your mother you won't be able to, you cannot marry your mother you won't be able to marry Aisha it's as simple as that um, there's a, a point here that the mother of the believers is not a virtue for her it's a virtue for the prophets that no one marries his wife after him but she did she went on married many people after Muhammad she came to fight Ali because of the Uthman assassination, excuse me. And the Uthman assassination was her fault. She says in her own words, kill Na'thal. And Na'thal is a term which refers to a Jewish man, and she ordered for his killing, and which is why later on Muawiyah killed her. And by the way, why is Muawiyah called Khalil Mu'minin, the uncle of the believers? Aisha is the mother of the believers. Why is Muawiyah the uncle of the believers? Because the sister of Muawiyah was actually one of the wives of Prophet Muhammad. So Aisha is not the only mother of the believers. The sister of Muawiyah was also the wife of Prophet Muhammad. She was the mother of the believers. Muawiyah being her, her brother makes him the uncle of the believers. Whereby the Prophet Muhammad says, if you see Muawiyah sitting on my pulpit, then assassinate him because Muawiyah was a criminal. And he began this whole ISIS ideology. Um, well, he promoted it big time. Uh, from here, we understand that mother of believers, uncle of believers is not a virtue. It's a, it's a prevention from uh, insulting the Prophet through marriage. Uh, Aisha ordered for the, the killing of Uthman. Uh, Muawiyah later on killed Aisha. He, he murdered her. And uh, Ali ibn Abi Talib was defending himself. Ali was already in Iraq. Aisha came all the way. The casualties from the Battle of the Camel affected Ali ibn Abi Talib more than it did affect Aisha. Uh, and uh, she was the one that came out, uh, out of, her, of her house and uh, fought Ali ibn Abi Talib, who was the caliph at the time. So religiously speaking, religiously speaking, uh, she shouldn't have fought her own caliph. Uh, speaking outside of religion, 
uh, and by Arab culture alone, uh, <laughs> women don't ride horses and start uh, spinning swords. That's something very well known for Arab culture to be limited within men. Thirdly, she's the one that, morally speaking, she's the one that caused the death of Uthman, not Ali ibn Abi Talib. So it's her fault he died. And fourthly, Ali ibn Abi Talib didn't really want to fight. Ali told Malik, uh, his, uh, his uh, general, uh, he said to him, he said to him, don't you dare launch an arrow before they launch an arrow. We're here to defend. We're not here to fight. And when they launched the the you know, the, the wave of arrows and spears and, and attacked, then he defended himself. And uh, along with all of that, Ali ibn Abi Talib protected her, cared for her, and sent her brother, who was on Ali ibn Abi Talib's side, Muhammad, the son of Abu Bakr, and told him, go take your sister Aisha and uh, protect her and do not allow anyone to abuse her or anything because the battle is between men. So the, the answer is, the war was between, according to Islamic theology, it was between an infallible and a non-infallible, and uh, Aisha was at fault. Everybody knows that, and even the Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah uh, love to give Aisha the uh, the excuse by saying "Ijtihadat uh, She performed ijtihad. She did what she saw was. Uh, uh, reasonable and she made a mistake the point is she made a mistake she caused the death of many people and just because she's a, a lady doesn't mean she cannot be a terrorist so so you would uh, go as as far as you call her a terrorist anyone that incites violence in the name of religion is a terrorist anyone i mean so so ali had had one point about like that there is a verse in quran 33 that they are free from al-rajis so it's kind of that's where the infallibility is being taught, right? Is that that Amal Mu'mineen are considered infallible because they're free from religious. But I, I don't want to, I, I mean, I have a question kind of on a bigger scheme of things about reformation. And and, and so, so I mean, in Surah Al-Baqarah, uh, uh, this book is, in, is infallible. And uh, I was wondering how can you reconcile, so let's say, now with all the... Yeah, yeah, I mean, just uh, like with all the like modern science discoveries and what's happening now, like let's say the the theory of the Big Bang and and all of these things that come up, uh, brother Habibi, uh, uh, my brother, uh, I I don't want you to get carried away. You speak Arabic, correct? Yes, I do. Yes, read the verse again for me. Alif Lam Mim. Beautiful, beautiful, yes. beautiful. Where where is this written? It's in the Surah Al-Baqarah, in the beginning. I know, of the I know, I know, I know. Where is it written? In what exactly? In Mecca, right? No, no, no. What are you reading it from? Quran. The Quran. You're reading, yeah, it from yeah. a, you're reading it from a book. Yes. Okay. When you have a book in your hand, do you say "Hada al-Kitab" or "Dalik al-Kitab"? This book or that book? You say this book, but this what, book. What does so the verse say? What does the verse say? What does the that verse like say? That like it says kitab. that book, so it's not referring to this book. So which book do you think is he's, he's referring yeah. to? The, the word kitab here is the referral to Ali ibn Abi Talib according to the Shia, and according to the Sunnah wal Jama'ah, it's a referral to the very Quran. Ali, one of the yeah. names of Ali ibn Abi Talib is kitab. The Prophet used to name Ali ibn Abi Talib Imam al-Muttaqeen. 
الذين يؤمنون بالغيب ويقيمون الصلاة ومما رزقناهم ينفقون علي بن أبي طالب was the one who gave the sadaqa in who gave the zakah while in prayer and those who believe in what was revealed for you. This here is referring to the Quran, four verses down the track. If I was writing a book, I would have been way more clear. I think I would have done a better job. But that is God. clear. That's the thing. <laughs> My mind is blown right now. No, this is, a, never... this is a common Shia. This is a common Shia teaching that. But it's not a Sunni. It... But 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 I understand that. But from the Sunni point of view, the, he's talking about this book. So why would he say that book? Like I, why are why are all Sunnis just accepting? Why did nobody clue in that 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 as opposed to think, this yes are you Come moving on, to the shia thing now no 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 no, no. <laughs> i'm just interested i'm like i'm interested that nobody's actually ever that's never come up in any conversations ever i've memorized that surah why wouldn't god see this as a point of confusion and clear, clear it up? i confused you all all of yeah, you <laughs> no i mean that's actually a very interesting point so so the book by dalika he's referring to nahj balagha by no, he's referring to Ali as Al-Kitab Al-Natiq, Al-Kitab Al-Natiq, the, the uttering Qur'an. Okay, so 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 you would not, so I mean, that kind of changes my question a little bit. So Completely, not a little bit, completely. Uh, now we're talking yeah, about a completely. human being. So, um, so let's say with all this modern scientific discovery, or even all of these, uh, so you would not find that the concept of infallibility and the concept of reform contradictory. You don't see, I mean, reform generally viewed as something needs to be wrong, something is wrong and needs to be changed. But if it's, if something is infallible, means it doesn't need reform. So wouldn't reform and infallibility contradict itself in terms of the meaning of the words? Infallibility applies to human beings. It doesn't apply to what scholars believe human beings did. I so see. infallibility applies to what is divine, not what could be God's law. What could be divine? Do you? I don't. I don't. I don't. Sorry. Can you say that again? Uh, <laughs> I have no idea. What, I, I mean, I know uh, exactly what you're law. saying. It just to me, it doesn't uh, yeah. make sense. Okay, Sharia law basically is what could be God's law. It's a deduction of laws from a hadith that regular scholars, I apologize, regular scholars believe could be God's law. So it could be God's law that you take the gay and you throw them from the building. It's nowhere written in the Quran. It could be God's Imam, law. Can I, can I ask one thing? So I, I wrote a book, it's called The Atheist, I'm plugging it again as if I, you know, but the everybody's holding me to every word in that book. Everything I wrote in that Nobody's giving me the luxury, including uh, Muslims, including all of the people who say that the Quran, anything can mean anything. It all comes down to interpretation. Everybody interprets it differently. The, the thing is, people hold me to every word in my book and they hold me accountable for it. And I'm not God, but I'm expected to be a really good writer. Now, you know, he said, exactly. He said that book, he's referring to Ali, he's saying, you know, Ali is your source of knowledge, transferring infallibility onto Ali. I get that. I was taught that as a, as a kid as well, right? What Yasmin was uh, shocked by. Was I mean, it was taught. the same thing. We were taught by that, <laughs> taught all of that. But really, couldn't you have just said Ali? Like, couldn't, I, if it was me writing the book, people would be like, 
listen, you idiot. Why didn't you just say what you wanted to say? You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a, there, there's a, the, one of the things that's most frustrating to me about the, the gymnastics that goes into uh, interpreting the Quran is that I think, I think there's a meme where it shows a Quran, which is this book, and then it shows a book that's about interpreting it. That's really big. And the interpretations are always by human beings. So what they're doing is they're saying, don't forget the Quran. Listen to me. I'll tell you what it means. I'll tell you the interpretation. Forget about the words of God as he wrote it himself, but I will tell you what it means because that is clearly not something that you can understand. What kind of God would do that? A God that is sending his message slowly, slowly, gradually, verse by verse to a group of misguided uh, warriors that would turn around and kill Ali ibn Abi Talib the moment he is mentioned in the Quran. And don't forget the amount of but politics That's another explanation that could have been not, in the Quran. That's no, something it that is. Ali, Ali is mentioned in the, in the Quran. He is but, but clearly God, he mentioned. Said this is his final message. If it was gradually, why he, why he was the no, final, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, final wait. Nabi? Wait. The Quran came down yeah. gradually speaking to the prophet and the people regarding certain matters that occurred throughout time in that era. And based on what was occurring, God was giving them examples of what had occurred and how to deal with them. Um, when when uh, we're speaking about leadership, we cannot deny that Abu Bakr and Omar and Uthman and the fathers, fathers-in-law of the prophet, they were all waiting for the prophet to die to, to take control of, of the whole empire. And when the Prophet is very close to Ali, and then he says, guess what? Second chapter of the Quran. We haven't even begun yet. Al-Fatiha has finished the second chapter right in the beginning. Ali, he'll be assassinated immediately. He'll be killed immediately. And then the whole mission of prophecy would, would, have, would have finished. Therefore, mm -hmm. uh, there are hidden codes in there that indicate to Ali ibn Abi Talib that are proven by history that they did occur. Um, and uh, also, uh, there, there's another verse in, in the Holy Quran, which clearly mentions Ali ibn Abi Talib by name, وَإِنَّهُ فِي أُمُّ الْكِتَابِ لَدَيْنَا لَعَلِيٌّ حَكِيمٌ And uh, the, these, many of these verses exist where the, the word Ali has come. Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah come and say, no, Ali here means the high one, referring to Allah. And uh, the Shia say, no, Ali here means Ali ibn Abi Talib. And there's a whole clash here between terminologies. But the Shia do believe it's, it's actually Ali. Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah don't. Both are respected. The point is, if Ali was mentioned in the book, he would be killed. Even, even the Prophet, even the Prophet, Taha, Yasin, these are names of Prophet Muhammad. So when God when God says that non-believers like me are going to burn in hell, you won't that's burn in hell. Trust me. That's a, that's a gradual to something else, or is that? Your brother, look, 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 Habib, you're not going to burn in hell. Okay, God didn't didn't make hell to burn people. The, the, leave religion for a second, okay? Leave religion for a second, and I come. Have. Let's talk as human beings. No, I mean leave the discussion of religion for a second, and come. Let's yes. talk as human beings, okay? <laughs> Uh, when when speaking about uh, the uh, the the idea of hell and heaven, according to all the religions, heaven is always greater and larger than hell. So even in the Quran, God says, uh, "And my heavens are seven levels and as wide as the 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 universe," and which clearly means the majority of creations, 
will be entering heaven. The minority will be going to hell. And I don't have a problem if Saddam Hussein ends up in hell. I really owe Osama bin Laden. I don't have a problem with that. But I do have a problem when people like you are told that you're going to go to hell. That's not going to happen. Why? Because what you have done is that you have expressed your opinion. And you've expressed your mm-hmm. opinion based on how you think. And how you think is based on the brain that you have. And the brain was given to you by God. You cannot be put in hell because of the way your brain functions, which was given to you by God. You have an opinion. You don't deserve to be attacked or killed for that opinion. So but don't I've, tell me you're going to go read, to hell. I, but I've read the Quran cover to cover, cover a couple of times, and I, I it mentioned to me that I'm going to burn in hell many. I mean, I think that was the most consistent message I got out of it, that non-believers are going to burn in hell. Give me the verse, and I'll put your mind at rest. Well, I mean, non-believers are going to burn well, in that hell. Will, that I'm would take a long look. time because there are many of them. There are There's many, so many, many of them. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 want to, I want to wrap this up a bit because we don't. I just want to I have like one Sunni Shia question. Yes, I need to know. Um, I need to know how Faisal, how, how come I'm the only one that's surprised? It, you were a Shia too. Yeah, so, I mean. Yaz is so, going to be I, Shia by the end of this. According to no, your Wikipedia. that's not the point. No, hold on a minute. <laughs> The I know. Point I'm kidding. Is, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. The point is, I've I've studied and I've learned, and I obviously, you know, I was thought I was very familiar with the the religion, and so to find out that there was like this little gem in there, I'm not talking about whether it refers to Ali or whether it refers to whoever. I that doesn't that's irrelevant to me. The point is the word that ذلك الكتاب versus هذا الكتاب like. Why Why didn't I clue into that? I should have clued into that or somebody should have said something like it, it didn't even come up in conversation. But Faisal, how, mm. come, how come you didn't know about that? Were you not? Well, I, I, because I was taught mostly by Sunni. So, so I, oh, okay. So, so you were in the same sort of boat as me of like, it just never yeah. comes up. Nobody ever noticed that this. I think it's more that, of a lingual matter. It's a lingual matter. It is Everybody a lingual knows matter. That and I this. love linguistics. So that's why yeah, I'm no, like. No, we, we were taught a lot of things. So like the wamsahu biru'usikum, like the, uh, the thing about washing the feet versus wiping the back of the feet during wudu. I mean, that's a, there's a Sunnishia difference there too. And um, it also has to do with the linguistics. There, there are many instances like that, that, that the Shia distinctions, um, where that linguistic comes in. Actually, I have another Shia question that, that has been confusing me for quite a while. And, and I mean, according to your Wikipedia, you are a student of Ayatollah Shirazi. Is that correct? Correct. Um, and... And Shirazi is known to have, I mean, I, I know some of the dispute he had with Sistani, Ayatollah Sistani and some other figures. And one of the disputes is about the Tatbir, which I don't know the English word for it. It's the one, the commensuration about Imam Ali and Imam Hussein and Karbala. And you you mean and, dispute with Khamenei, Sistani and Shirazi are good friends. They both allow Tatbir. They both allow. Yeah, it's uh, the, uh, the Khamenei that doesn't allow it. Okay, I see. So, I mean, my, my question is, so Tatbir, I mean, you probably, as you probably know, is that people hitting themselves with the sword and, and all of that. And we have like almost like every year, well, maybe every year, maybe every month in Iraq in which at least like 20 people or 30 people die from infection, from hitting the sword on the head, or sometimes they do it to their children. And I'm wondering... How how do you reconcile the Tatabir concept with 
morality or do you find do you find it ethical? I mean, what's your opinion about the whole tatbir idea? Well, it is something that uh, I used to practice, and I don't. And I would uh, ask your kind, uh, uh, let's say, permission to allow me to not go too deep into that, as it could really offend many people. This is something you know when it comes to Imam Hussein and Karbala. Uh, I don't wish to uh, uh, touch that. That's a red line for many people. Uh, so in order that I don't end up offending many people, I'll, I'll speak about myself. I've, I will not practice that. Uh, however, just to correct your statistics, there's no such thing as 20 to 30 people dying uh, every now and then. That doesn't happen at all. Probably every three, four years, we, we might have two, three people dying. And that's because of the stampedes, not the actual ritual. And... Uh, Look, every religion has its own rituals. The Catholics do it. The, the, the Pope, John Paul, used to do it. And, and there are many other people that, many other denominations, minorities that go on flagellating. And, and these things don't really kill. They just, uh, you know, they they do that with the aim to feel the pain of the saint that they love. Uh, I, don't, I don't engage in such practices at all, but I also do not mock or attack anyone for that. The statistics uh, are not uh, what I know of. And... Uh, with regards to uh, Shirazi, so what? Shirazi was my teacher. Uh, of course, I'm an imam. I had to be trained at one one point by a grand ayatollah. So it doesn't mean that any opinion he had or has or will have uh, represents me as an individual. Yes, uh, I am very grateful that he took care of me when I was oppressed by the Iranian government. And that's why I have his picture above me. And uh, I love him as a human being, but he will always remain a typical classical uh, cleric that has his own opinions. And I, as a human being, I have my own opinions. And uh, it's not right that I am held responsible or accountable by media for the opinions of my teachers. You know, it doesn't really matter. No, I mean, I'm, I'm not holding you. Obviously, both of you are two different just individuals. Saying, just and, and I respect, but, but I mean, to, to clarify that, let's say I'm a person of the media. I mean, do, do, you, do you find any major, any disagreement, minor or major, with Ayatollah Shirazi? Do you, do you have a, a differences of approach, a differences of uh, interpretation that you would like to share with us? I'll be as frank as I possibly can. I am not on his level of education on Islam to uh, clash with him ideologically. He's a mujtahid. You know what a mujtahid is? He's yeah. someone that spent uh, at least 60 years of his life teaching advanced studies. I'm not on that yeah. level. It's, it's like level. you. Yeah. It's like me telling you, would you go on a face-off with uh, Richard Dawkins? It just, it's not fair for either of you. I'm not on the same level as him. Uh, it's like me asking a regular bishop to come and debate the Pope or come disagree with the Pope. Uh, they have their own evidences. They have their own line of thinking. They have their own circumstances, which uh, influence their fatwas. And, and I have my own lifestyle in the West. And I'm, But the good thing about Shirazi is that he's too open to the West. That's one thing that I love about the man. He's very open when it comes to the West. And always reaching out to non-Muslims, uh, unlike other maraja' taqlid that are very closed and uh, you know not not prepared to reach out to people, and that's what really uh, allowed me to go and study under him in the beginning. Very open-minded person, very into technology, media channels, and so on. But he'll always remain a typical classical uh, Shia scholar, just like every other scholar from every other faith.
Great. I mean, my my, my last question before I, I hand that. Uh, so, what what do you think of? I mean, one one of the criticism that Iran gets a lot is is al faqih concept is is the is the mixing of religion and the government. Uh, do you do you think of that as kind of the same evil as the Wahhabi version of Islam, or do you think there are some differences that it, it's better or worse? I mean, what do you I mean, what do you think of the concept of Wilayat al-Faqih that Iran is following? Everyone believes in Wilayat al-Faqih. Everyone believes in it, and this is uh, me being sarcastic a little bit with you. Um, everyone believes in Wilaya means the authority. The authority of the jurist. And everyone has authority. Khamenei has authority. His driver has authority. His neighbors have authority. His grandma has authority. His children have authority. His wives, his uh, friends, his uh, massage therapist. Everyone has authority in Iran. So people who oppose Mulat al-Faqih, it doesn't make sense because everyone has authority. Who doesn't have authority? And the fact that, you know, the, the, the Shia in Iran are always uh, dealing with, with, them, with the scholars as though we're in debt to them, you know. We're in debt. We have to give them our money and we're in debt yeah. to them is, is, is because uh, deep inside they believe that they have some sort of authority upon us. And when yeah. you believe that someone has this authority upon you, you're always going to be lowering yourself to them and so on. So, yeah, everyone believes in, in, in authority for themselves. And this is the, 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 the corruption that we, we're dealing with. And Khamenei, he's a nobody. He's a nobody. I've proven in Sharia Talk, episode two, that he hasn't studied anything. And uh, he's someone that doesn't know what's happening. And even his intellect, his IQ is very low, the man. He's a good speaker, good reciter of the Quran, but he's not uh, fit to be a leader for Islam at all. I mean, his fatwas are just nonsense. And he himself as a figure, uh, he's uh, put himself in a, in a very tough situation because he has not one prominent student that we can say, wow, he graduated from Khamenei. Or that Khamenei has a good book that we can see, wow, he really does have knowledge. He's, he's nothing. Just power. When you're powerful, everyone will come under you. So, so on a personal, I mean, that's going to be the last question. I mean, on a personal level, I mean, you're, you advocate for separation of mosque and state. Is that correct? You're, you're opposed to the Wilayat al-Faqih and also, I mean, I mean, like you're opposed to theocracy, you're opposed to mixing of. Oh, the... don't get me wrong. Yeah, completely. I am against the concept of Wilayat al-Faqih. Completely, completely. I'm against mm. any Islamic government. I'm against any uh, any uh, form of bringing religion into uh, any form of governance or politics. And I've said this many times. Religion was sent to guide people, not to rule over them with with the governments and swords and. Uh, look, Islam uh, as a religion, it's not compatible to be uh, put in this government module. It doesn't work. Governments need uh, opinion of, of of nations and what the nations want in elections. And in Islam, it says people have no right to vote because if they vote, then they've um, they've committed an, an act of tyranny. And the, the leader who's voted by the people is a ta'ut, is a tyrant. And the one appointed by God is the just one. That's why in Iran... They try to mix the both, yeah? They have Hassan Rouhani who is elected by the people and Khamenei who is elected by so-called God because he's the uh, the representative of the, the, the infallible 12th Imam yeah, you yeah. Know, in his absence. It's all nonsense.
Yeah. Uh, Arvind, do you want to wrap up? Well, no, I just wanted to uh, mention the two uh, two of the 260 plus mentions of disbelievers uh, that you told me to bring them up. Uh, the, these are, I think, from Baghera. Uh, don't bother warning the disbelievers. Allah has made it impossible for them to believe so that he can torture them forever after they die. That's uh, Surah 2, Ayat 6 to 7. And then uh, Surah 2, Ayat 10 also says, Allah has sickened the hearts of the disbelievers and increased their disease. He is a spirit. Um, well, I actually have so many. And disbelievers, um, he also mentions that they we'll are here, deaf, dumb, uh, and blind. Then. We'll be here for a while if we go through all of them. Um, we can go through yeah. them. We, we can go through them. It's okay. No, I found <laughs> no, 249 no. mention of them. I don't think we can go through them tonight. We'll go but, through one um, if you like. Okay, just just one. The uh, the first mention of them. The, the don't bother warning the disbelievers. So first of all, don't even bother with us. Can, because can you, God can, has you put, can you start the verse for me in Arabic or even in? Well, I'm I'm Iranian, so I can't. It's it's uh, the same. It's the same letters. It's the same letters. If you can start the verse, oh I'll pick my, it up. Uh, this is what I had to do in school. Okay, maybe maybe um, I, I can do it for you. Lazina kafaru, lazina kafaru. Look, brother, this, this verse here was not referring to the believers in general. The people who were actually burying their daughters alive and raping women and killing the, the innocent people, these people, when God wants to refer to them, he cannot refer to them by their tribe names or by their individual names. As, as I said before, the Quran is not a magazine. It's not a, a book that's going to come down every now and then in a form of additions. It's a formula. So when God speaks to Muhammad on that time, in that area, in that time, in that area, regarding a situation that he is going through and says disbelievers, he's actually referring to that very group of people who but, are suffering But it's sickness. like saying Mein Kampf, mein, mein Kampf wasn't talking about all Jews. It was specifically talking about specific Jews that Hitler had this problem with that were actually bad people. Like, yeah. isn't that, yeah. Like that would that would be a defense that I could give for for brother Hitler's the verse that you just quoted the one after that there's a disease uh, in the fiqulubihim maradam fazadahum Allahu marada in their hearts is a disease and God increased that disease uh, basically if someone wants to go around killing people butchering them and massacring them and raping women burying them alive little baby girls and so on that's a disease in the heart. And God no, says, but here is, no, here is saying the disease is the disbelief. And exactly this, the next verse clarifies yeah. that the good people are people that believe in Allah in the last day. So it's not saying specific people. It's saying the disease of atheism versus people that believe I, I in Allah. So. And can, the can, you, can you read the, the verse for me, brother? Give me the number. I'll, yeah. I'll right, read well, this for you. I mean, uh, last okay, go on. Yeah, so khatama. Uh, ختم الله على قلوبهم وعلى سمعهم وعلى um, and eight also, and eight verse eight clarifies eight versus people that actually believe. So it makes it clear that this is specifically about belief and non-belief because uh, yeah, verse eight yeah. is, yeah. it doesn't say anything about killing or raping or anything like that. I mean that is something that I guess is the again the interpretation or whatever it is. But it's a, it's really just talking about the hearts of disbelievers. I think and, the, uh, the the main I think the main problem we're going through here. Um, Brother Faisal might even agree with me. Uh, the eloquence of the Quran 
when it's translated into English, it sounds really bad. And I, I have to, I have to actually admit that when God is is condemning in Arabic eloquence, so that those people can actually uh, shiver a little bit and and fear the fact that God is angry. Because don't forget, when we're saying Islam is the final religion. Uh, and it's the final warning. And even psychologically, it's been proven that if you want to tell someone, stop raping, stop killing, stop raping, stop killing, stop stealing, and they keep doing that, then you say, listen, rape, you go to hell. Kill, you go to hell. Massacre, you go to hell. That warning, uh, inciting a bit of fear, will prevent mm-hmm. them, psychologically proven, from raping uh, women. I- Imam, this so is not that about eloquence, the... I apologize, uh, but uh, no, no. I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, but I just want to get this right. Um, the what Armin is saying is that this verse is not. It's not talking about raping or killing or. Uh, That's stealing. the interpretation of the verse. That is the interpretation. Of but the verse. Uh, but again, why why wouldn't it just it, it, the verse actually says disbelief? So, the, can you understand why this verse, uh, if people are to believe that God is wrote it then it would sound like god kind of got it wrong because he's clearly it seems like he's talking about disbelievers and that's uh, an arabic you're, and you're looking at you're looking at one verse uh in in the quran and and there's there's a there's a big difference between looking at no, one verse no no we're, we're talking about one verse but i mean we've looked at many of them but uh, go ahead continue and those mm-hmm. who judge by anything other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's ruling, they are the op- oppressors. And uh, if I have recited that correctly, then clearly we have, we have a law that he or she who does not judge by what God has judged, they are the oppressors. And in the very Quran that we're talking about, clearly says that he whoever murders one person it is as if they have murdered the whole of mankind. Therefore, the ruling of God would be to not murder anyone. Uh, and murder, killing, lying, uh, raping, these are all acts that constitute disbelief. So disbelief doesn't mean uh, you're rejecting God, because if you were rejecting God, you wouldn't even be bothering to read the Quran in the first place or even listen to what the Prophet Muhammad has to say at that time. And the Prophet wouldn't be even wouldn't even be bothered to go and speak to the atheists at that time. If the Quran is telling the Prophet Muhammad that they're hopeless, don't speak to them, then he wouldn't have even approached the atheists. Uh, the, mm. the main reason why the word disbelief there is there is because disbelief here doesn't mean rejection of the monotheistic being of God. It actually means all of these wrong actions which lower the status of the human being being a believer and then slowly, slowly towards being a tyrant oh. who doesn't believe in God. That's okay, basically that's, it. Let's make that the last word. Um, we, not, we saying that if you don't be, not saying that if you don't believe in God, then you're a tyrant, but you get yeah, my point. No, no, that, that's yeah, yeah, I mean, just, the, to, just to, I mean, I, I, I hope that we didn't like, I mean, we, we, we're not here to get to challenge on your religion. What, ah, just like brothers, you, please, please. Uh, it's it's an honor. It's a more. pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having reform. me, please. No, this is yeah, so, uh, this is good. I think in in Qom, uh, like my cousin at least, you know, we used to have conversations. This I'm telling you, I really appreciate you coming here. I know this is sort of like the lion's den for you, and you know we've been not uh, really. hammering you, but I, you, you, you you're know. my family, brothers. Don't don't think that I would think okay, that, that's that great. at all. I I would like to take away my takeaway from here is is just that all of us are going since none of us are going to hell. We're all going to heaven, and Imam, you're coming to heaven too. So. 
you may not, you know, if you want to come and join us and uh, we then, will, you know, we please will. feel we'll, free. We'll, we'll do a live show over there we'll as well. We'll hang out, <laughs> hang out no, in heaven. The, the <laughs> only difference is I'll be, I'll be with 72 virgins and you won't. <laughs> That's the only difference. Yeah, I'm joking. I don't, I don't believe in that. Rose. I don't believe in no. that. <laughs> They're raisins. You get 72 raisins. They're all going to be nuns. They'll be nuns. I just want to add that no matter how much we disagree, I don't think this is happening enough. I think this, this, I mean, is what, what, even though I disagree with a lot of things you believe in, I, I, I admire the fact that you um, discuss these things more honestly than pe many people I know. Uh, not, not that many people are brave to come and speak against people that they not agree with and to speak about it with such honestly. Uh, and it doesn't matter. The fact is that it doesn't matter that we disagree. The fact uh, when uh, we, we can show people that even, no matter how much we disagree, we could be friends before and after passionate disagreements with each other. And at the end of the day, even if we don't convince each other to anything, showing that showing people that disagreements doesn't have to lead to hatred. That's all that we need to show people, even if we don't change their views about anything. That we can all you, like, we can all disagree to disagree and have a civil conversation. I mean, I would like to thank you so much, Imam. Anytime, this has been a brother, great, anytime. great pleasure. Anytime, you are actually anytime. thank the, you. The first Muslim who ever agreed to come to our show. So, so we will hopefully not the last, but <laughs> we like to thank you so much. Uh, I think God I can wrap this up. Uh, for people, I mean, how can people follow you online? Is Twitter and Facebook? Yeah, the... Twitter, Facebook. The only thing is I'm not here making excuses. I'm here uh, presenting a different interpretation to what I believe will contribute to the uh, movement of reformation. Yeah, and I hope, I mean, I, I think it's like at the end of the day, the values that you are trying to espouse is a world that I want to live in. We all want to live in mm -hmm. peace and harmony yep. and and uh, love and I, I I wouldn't mind li living under Imam Tawhidi as my president. So, I uh, I would I I would I would go as far as to say that I I think that uh, you know I, I disagree with you on a lot, and that's very very clear over here, especially the political part of it. But I would go as far as to tell people to instead of the Quran directly, they should listen to you. <laughs> that's <Maybe. laughs> that's my thing. Yes, go for it. Well, I was going to say that um, Imam Tawhidi, I can't remember which interview it was, but you said something really interesting where you said that you were always being taught that if you had trouble reconciling something in the in the Quran or in the Hadith, that it was something wrong with your mind, that there was nothing wrong with the scripture. It was something wrong with your mind. And then the, the light bulb moment for you was when you realized there's nothing wrong with my mind. There's something wrong with the with the scripture. And that really resonated with me because that was exactly my exact experience. I went through that exact same thing. Of course, I ended up becoming an atheist because of it. Um, but even though I'm an atheist and I, um, I support reformers like yourself, because like Ali said, we all believe in the same values. We believe in in human rights and and liberalism and secularism and all of these things that you espouse. We espouse them as well. And at the end of the day, I think that you have a very good chance of of getting people to follow you, like these gentlemen were saying about um, read instead of reading the Quran, following Imam Tawhidi. I think that can actually happen because you are an imam 
And because you are a Shia imam, because as you know, Sunnis don't value their imams as much as uh, Shias do. Not value, but you know what I mean. Um, so I think that you really do have a really good chance, and I'm very excited for for that opportunity for that or for that uh, you know potential. And uh, yeah, all Thank the best you. to you. Thank you very Bye. much, sister. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks. The Secular Jihadists have been made possible thanks to the gracious support of the Illuminati and the great state of Israel. That's what we have been told, but we haven't received our checks yet. In the meantime, we greatly appreciate the support of our current donors. Please consider supporting by sharing the podcast with your fellow heathens or by donating at patreon.com sjme.